1994 NBA Championship Series between the Houston Rockets and the New York Knicks featured the physical play of two of the best defensive teams in the league. Led by Hakeem Olajuwon and Vernon Maxwell, the Rockets won Game 7, 90-84, bringing Houston its first-ever Pro Sports Championship. Olajuwon became the first player to be named Defensive Player of the Year, League MVP, and Playoff MVP in the same season. <laughs> Newhouse? Bart, why do you want you to see me cry? Oh, come on, I've seen you cry a million times. You cry when you split your knee, you cry when they're out of chocolate milk, you cry when you're doing long division and you have a remainder left over. Well, I didn't want you to see me cry this time. Listen, Newhouse, I got a confession to make. I'm the one who knocked on your kissing. What? <laughs> Very feasible from the beginning to the end. And that makes it more fun. You know, you can, you know, you really want to win this championship. It's just amazing uh, how close these teams were. And I really feel fortunate that we came out on top. Well, I bet the eight ball didn't see that one coming. <laughs> yeah. So you're catching up, obviously, on the fact that you have been surpassed as the most famous person when he was a Harvard graduate. Jer Jeremy uh, is Jeremy uh, doing good. And I knew about Jeremy before you did, or everybody else did, because um, you know, Arnie Duncan, my Secretary of Education, was captain of the Harvard team. Right. And so way back when, uh, Arnie and I were playing, and he said, I'm telling you, we've got this uh, terrific guy named Jeremy Lynn uh, at Harvard. And then one of my best friends, his son's a freshman at Harvard, so when he went out for a recruiting trip, he, he saw Lynn in action. So, you know, so I've been on the, I've been on the Jeremy Lynn bandwagon. Are you for taking a while. credit for the insanity? I kind of feel like you're having it. I can't take credit for it, uh, but, uh, but I, I'm just saying I was there early. I can't take credit for it. Uh, but, uh, but I, I'm just saying I was there early. I can't take credit for it. Uh, but, uh, but I, I'm just saying I was there early. I can't take credit for it. Uh, but, uh, but I, I'm just saying I was there early. Welcome back to another episode of the Humor and the Abject Podcast. You getting dunked on by Patrick Chewing Screedlers. This is Stefan Lee, your faithful studio manager. Are you happy that you're getting jammed up with a bonus episode this week? We've got such a fantastic guest for you. I'm personally a little offended that we're doing a bonus episode because I was promised that this week would be all about my own episode that dropped on Sunday. Fair weather fucking fans, I see. Anyways, we're extremely excited to welcome the one and only Andrew Quo to the podcast today. Let's turn it over to your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. I'm Ira Glass. Welcome to Jackass. It's episode 43 of the Humor in the Abject podcast. I'm your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. Happy belated Valentine's Day to all the Screedlers out there. I hope you spent it with somebody that you loved or spent it cursing somebody that has ruined love for you, but you were surrounded by uh, people who have since become more important to you in your life, demonstrating that time heals all wounds. Uh, I don't know if that's true, but... Uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode earlier this week with 
podcast manager Staffenly. It was a long time coming, and you know, I just had to give her a platform. Now, we've got a special bonus episode for you this week with my buddy Andrew Quo, an exceptional painter whom you will no doubt recognize from Twitter and Instagram as at Earl Boykins. Andrew is represented by Marlboro Gallery here in New York and is obsessed with music, food, basketball, and all things New York in general. He co-hosts his own podcast about basketball called Cookies that I highly recommend you subscribe to. I know next to nothing about the NBA, but I absolutely love the show. And he and co-hosts Ben Dietrich and Jordan Ridelli have an awesome rapport that'll end up getting you worked up about injuries, trades, playoffs, drama, and everything in between, regardless of your actual interest in the sport. We covered a ton of ground in this interview, and I'm really excited to share it with you. Here's my conversation with Andrew Quo. <laughs> So, uh, Andrew Quo, welcome to Human the Abject. How's your week? My week has been great. It's great to be here. It's a, it's a treat. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for coming. Um, I'm wondering if you've had any good meals lately, because I feel like you are always letting people know where to eat in Chinatown in the Lower East Side. Any good meals this week or in the last couple weeks? Yeah, I, got, I have this new favorite restaurant on St. Mark's. Uh, it's called Szechuan Mountain House. Um, and it opened up right where Grand Szechuan used to be. You know, upstairs, when you go upstairs, there's like a, there used to be a Supercuts and there's yeah. Chipotle. So they opened up this place. Uh, it's from Queens. And it's awesome. I, got, I like to talk about Chinese food so much because like I no longer have the house I grew up in and I grew up like maybe 30, 40 minutes up from here. So the place that feels like home for me mostly is like Mott Street. Mm -hmm. So I'm constantly kind of like, kind of digging for like uh like my memories of you know my parents and stuff so i like to talk about chinese food yeah you could get a uh you should have a show where you uh, go around and visit different places i feel like that would be a good you could do kind of like a bourdain thing or something like that but, but just like one street right yeah. like <laughs> as like the, the the changeover happens it's like this used to be a tea shop but now no one drinks those teas anymore do you cook too or do you just are you more an audience member when it comes to food i love to cook um i've been cooking a lot lately just to save time just been busy uh, doing other things so i just kind of save some time just to cook at home that's cool. Uh, what's going on in the studio right now? What are you working on? I'm trying to work on some new paintings. Um, I There's a couple fairs. I think the Dallas Art Fair is coming up that I got to make work for. I just had a bunch of stuff in Miami. And uh, you, I'm sure you can relate to this. You never know what's going to take what out of you. But like Miami, I did a standalone show in this like developing neighborhood. And, uh, and I also had some work in some booths and... It was exhausting. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is a little bit of a throwback, but I was watching a Mocha TV uh, episode oh. that you were on. It's like from five years ago, and it was um, Aaliyah Shawkat from She's Search great. Party and Arrested Development was interviewing you, I think, in your studio. I don't know if that's the same. It was my. I, I used to have my studio in my house, and uh, <laughs> yeah, that was such a weird day because I thought it was going to be quick, right? Like, uh -huh. I, it was like, someone's going to come over and interview you really quick, and like Lance Bang shows up. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, and then Aaliyah Shawkat shows up. I'm like, you look familiar because I'm not an Arrested Development okay, guy. Okay, yeah, yeah. But she's so great. And then like, as we were, there was some downtime, she was just like, have you seen? Well, I, I asked. <laughs> she was, I'm not going to sell her out like that. <laughs> I was like, I, my Arrested Development 
game is not fantastic. Do okay. you think I should watch it? And she was so sweet. She was like, yeah, I know some people are crazy about it, but it's good. You know, like you're yeah, going to yeah. love it. It is a good show. Yeah. Is it? I'm a, can, I'm, can a, you... I'm a big fan of it. I got pretty nerded out on it when it was, uh, it was already off the air by the time that I saw it. Right. But a friend had, it was when I was, I still lived in Phoenix, Arizona, and I was moving to Portland, Oregon. And I had this gap between when the year that I was teaching uh, high school before I went to grad school, uh, it was summer break and I had yeah. a couple weeks before I left. And this guy that was letting me stay in a room at his house, he just had the box set on DVD. And I was yeah. like, oh, I've heard you know so many things about this. And I sat down and just blew through the whole thing and just uh, responded very positively to it. I, I don't know what I thought about the Netflix reboot. Yeah, it, what, it was okay. Y- what was different about Did any writers change? I think the problem was it was such an ensemble cast that mm. by the time that they redid Arrested Development, all those people had, their careers had blown up. Right. And they were all super, super busy doing other things. Um, I mean, Michael, Sarah, for one. But so I think it was impossible to get them all together. So the oh, episodes yeah. were, if I'm remembering correctly, the episodes are sort of like each one focused on a different character since the last one, uh, since the last season had ended. Uh-huh. And so people kind of came in like satellites. But I don't know if there was any part where like the whole insane Bluth family was like together screaming at each other, right. which was like the whole that was the charm of it was you got all of them together and there was just this chemistry that was unreal that's so funny you say that because i thought uh, curbing enthusiasm came back with such like gusto uh but it's mostly just him right like and well there are definitely key characters in that in that show but i think with jace move and like uh his his manager and it's kind of all you need yeah but um with an ensemble cast right it's sort of like if veep took like a year or two off yeah, and they came yeah. back. It's like, well, they all have to be together, right? Pretty much, yeah. I, I saw, I don't know if I mentioned this before on an episode, but I saw Larry David not terribly long ago, like maybe end of this summer, walking around kind of in like Nolita. And I was just walking down the block. And it was just Larry David walking uh-huh. towards me. And uh-huh. I was with my friend Shruti and walking down the block. And I was like, oh, man, I think that's... What do you do? Like, do you talk to him? I didn't I didn't say anything, but he was yeah. he's kind of, he's walking on the same side of the block as nobody else is there. Uh-huh. He's got his hands in his pockets and he's being so Larry David. I can't fucking describe. He's like looking up at the buildings, just kind of scowling at like all of the different buildings around him or something. And he walked by and I was just like, God, you dress like shit. You know, but like, like pleated corduroys just, or something. Yeah, with like those weird, uh, I don't even know what style of shoe that is that like he wears. simple skate yeah, jeans yeah, or they something. They do look like they're <laughs> kick, they kickball rubber sole. Yeah, yeah. And then like a weird like Target kind of like not really like a sweatshirt yeah, like yeah. a long sleeve shirt that has like a single vertical stripe down the sleeve it's amazing yeah he kind of dresses like he's from the tv show doug i feel like i love that show <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah i always wonder like how much of a character he's playing on his own show and then how much of him is in jerry i mean i guess everyone wonders how much of him is in jerry right yeah yeah but um, it I, seems like I mean, based on my only exposure to him prior to this, which is you know uh, him in Curb Your Enthusiasm, basically as like an actor, he seems to act exactly like that when he's walking, amazing. He's walking around that. New York alone. Um, oh, but I was going to ask about that uh, Mocha TV episode in that studio. You said something, and maybe this is in turning because it's like five years ago. But you yeah. said that you like to work at nighttime uh-huh. because the natural light that comes in kind of feels strange to you because it's not going to end up in natural light. It's going to end up in a gallery and yeah. That was such a funny thing to me because I thought, wow, that's so antithetical to why you hear people paint in New York, you know? Sure. It's always the light. Right, right. People paint here because of the light. And you're right, saying, right. no, I paint at nighttime. Yeah. 
Well, it's funny because things have changed since. Well, my situation in studio has changed since that interview. Where now、um, I have a studio not too far from here、um, in Bushwick, and where Williamsburg kind of turns into Bedstuy. But、um, I, I work during the day there, but the sunlight drives me nuts because the colors will change throughout the day. Yeah, and、um, a lot of time, I, mean, I feel like. Um, I have like three brands of paint that I've stuck to for the last twenty years, and I just know how they behave.、Yeah. So I kind of have to ignore the light, being like, I know this cadmium yellow as opposed to the the other yellow that I picked out will behave this way when I hang it in, you know, a gallery or、um, wherever. Sometimes I go to someone's house and it'll be by a window, and I'll just like kind of nervously OCD out,、mm-hmm. being like, "You can't, you know, like <laughs> I wasn't ready for you to do that. Like you should have told me." <laughs> what kind of is it? Do you use flash paint? I don't know anything. I clearly know nothing about paint. But what kind of paint do you use? Paint's ridiculous.、Um, I use... well, people have such specific tastes in it, and it's really. I know people nerd out on it. It's like guitar strings or anything else. Like people are very specific about what. I go a little bit nuts. Like for a while, I was trying to figure out by looking at a painting what brand acrylics that people use. Okay. Because you can kind of tell with certain ones. Like、uh, the cadmiums are kind of tells. The pinks are always tells. I think. But、um, I've stuck to like golden, the really cheap, like whatever bargain stuff. Mm-hmm. People have because a lot of those are really, you know, poor, yeah,、uh, poorly made, but they're kind of unique. So I like it, you know.、Um, and if I can find one, I just buy tons of it. And like painter friends of mine will send me little containers to try, like、uh, which I think is super fun. It feels like a like a subculture within a subculture. Yeah, but yeah. Like I'll talk to a painter about painting, and they'll send me a little can, and yeah, it's kind、uh, of conspiratorial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Got and, some contraband. Coming、and、in the mail, totally. And I think that I feel like it's the opposite of like when、uh, guitarists talk about、uh, strings. Yeah,、um, it's sort of like when guitarists talk about pedals. Be- oh yeah, yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah, because they're kind of secrets, right?、Mm-hmm. Like no painter, every painter's fear is that they're going to disappear off, or every artist or every human's fear is they're going to disappear off the face of the earth, right? And、uh, I feel like with painting, it's like, well, if I tell you all my secrets, you can just do what I do.、Mm-hmm. But like, as you get older, you realize, like, oh no, you're a, a certain kind of weirdo that、yeah. no one can just because they use golden <laughs> paint, you know, just because they they splurge on like the real good blue. Yeah, yeah,、know? that's funny. I feel like you have with color、uh, this kind of pleasantly paradoxical relationship to it. In the one way, the color seems really intuitive and kind of personal and poetic and Well, at the same time, it's almost like、uh, in how mathematical it is. It's kind of fascist. Yeah, yeah. So this is right. Thanks, man. No, no, I, like I don't、that. know how, how have you evolved with、uh, with your color palette and just that visual vocabulary over the years to to get to. I mean, you have a really distinct yeah palette, right? It's a struggle, and it's so funny. It's like you just can't run from your shadow, right? Like sometimes I'll sit down and make a painting, or you know, start to make a painting. I'll be like. Make this one cool, like don't just like don't do these dumb colored jokes that you have inside your own mind. You know, it's just like okay, no laughing during the the making of this painting, and then invariably like three quarters of the way into it, I was like, oh, but yellow's funnier than like gray here, you know.、Um, and there's these little jokes that I can't really like. I always tell somebody it's like the inside of your mouth, right? If you if you bite your gum or your tongue, someone's just like, what's wrong? You look 
like something's wrong. It's like, oh, I just bit my tongue. Like, oh, don't worry, that heals really fast. You won't even notice it. But to you, it's just like this intense experience, this personal experience that is kind of disturbing and kind of unique, right? It's like, well, I know my mouth and like I've never really had my tongue feel like that. Yeah, and you can't stop rubbing it. Yeah. Screwing with it. Yeah, try to identify (laughs) it, right? And I feel the same way about color. It's just like, you know, someone will see it and be like, oh, I like it because it's bright or I don't like it because it's bright. But the jokes to me, I was like, well, it's a a red next to a blue. That's hilarious. You know, (laughs) it's just like a complimentary color, you know, like fuck it. It's like I'm trying, I'm I'm doing the far side joke here, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but then, you know, when you get into the real like tertiary colors and like the, the heatness, the, the, the warmth or whatever, um, then you get nerdy. And then that's when like the Diodario string conversation comes around. <laughs> I was, um, I got to meet one of my painting heroes, uh, Peter Halley. Um, oh, I've been to Peter's studio before. Brought a bunch of grad students there with my old boss, really? uh, Arnold Kemp, a long time ago. Yeah, we went to a studio in Chelsea. It was wild. I mean, I'm a huge Peter Halley fan. Yeah, I was yeah. like, a, I was geeked out in there. I mean, I'd never been to a studio. What was it like? It was uh, big, and yeah. there were a lot of people who I think maybe were like recent, like Yale graduates. I mean, he had like he has like a staff. You know, oh, really? Like working on paintings. And yeah. he's like talking to us. And I was just laughing my ass off because the <laughs> students that we were with were kind of like, I think he said something to the effect of, he's like, you know, um, I do all this in Photoshop. I haven't, he's like, I haven't touched a paintbrush in 20 years or something. The students I love were it. like, I love it. No! Yeah, you know, yeah, they're yeah, so yeah. upset. Yeah, yeah. And there's all these kids with like, you know, 72 layers of like blue painters. I mean, but it was like, just like chewy is the only way that I can. Show. I mean, it yeah, was like yeah, there yeah. was a tactile. Just watching them peel off, Ooh. like that paint with those super thick layers that he yeah, gets. Yeah, man, and he gets that bevel. How does he get yeah, that yeah. bevel? I I don't know if it's like a staircase effect or what's going yeah, yeah. on or like how he's doing that. But it was it was amazing. I mean, I've I've loved. I read this. I don't even remember what it was. It was I, I'm going to blank on the name of the thing, but it was called the essay was called like rear guard or something and it was there was a peter halley part and it. it was from like the 90s and he was talking about how the only like to him the only radical political gesture in painting is to like refuse to move forward and be innovative because innovation is always subsumed by uh basically it's co-opted by mainstream culture so the only thing that you can do to be radical is like refuse to progress and then they're showing that's the, why he's one of my favorite yeah, artists and right? then i saw i yeah. remember seeing his paintings in la one time and there's these two next to each other one's black and white and one's color yeah and I'm looking at them and I'm just like, you know, they're, they're the exact same composition. Then you go over and you look at the dates and they're like 35 years apart. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like, it's incredible. The, fuck? <laughs> the audacity. Like, I admire that, though. That's cool. I, I could yeah. I could definitely see like a Quo and Halley show. That would make. I mean, he's my hero um, <laughs> forever. But yeah, I mean, that quote is amazing. Um, and I'm totally like, I'm paraphrasing to the oh, nth yeah, degree. Yeah. But it was Absolutely. something along those lines where, and I don't even know if he would still you know yeah be into that but he, it was just like i was like that's that's kind of a, that's a, kind of cool, yeah. that's a good thing to own for like most of your <laughs> career right just be like like you've made the same thing for 30 years fuck you <laughs> yes you don't understand radicalism <laughs> get rad maybe <laughs> get rad and sit still <laughs> yeah yeah that's so funny that he i mean i'm assuming a lot of people paint from photoshop files and like I got into a little thing with someone um, about the uh, Ken Day Wiley. Yeah, I was going to, I have a note to actually ask you about that because I saw um, 
So instantly, so for anybody's, I mean, everybody's listening, they're all nerds. They know this. So Wiley painted Obama's portrait and it was like the official presidential portrait of the National Portrait Museum. And Twitter was, you know, had the had the ammo ready ready with the memes the second that it comes out you know it's homer disappearing into the bush it's like yeah uh, so many different things but you you tweeted out a photo of it and you'd circled all of these different parts where the leafing pattern was repeated in the background right and then you said something along the lines of like like this is beautiful but like oh my god i have ocd yeah it's it's like i'm not even sure i mean i I would never glorify or romanticize having ocd but like um, I think there's an anxiety though in your painting, and you're sure. kind of that. I, I wouldn't say that you're flippantly using it. Yeah, to yeah. Me. it doesn't seem <laughs> right. right. Yeah, I mean, uh, the you know details in paintings certainly are things that like, you know, I like those little secrets in paintings that we all kind of try to find in in stuff we like or don't like. But I, you know, I like the painting. It's cool. Like he's almost post. Like you can't really talk about that painting critically because it has entered like this pop world where like the the discussion of is it good or bad just doesn't even matter anymore no and i feel like what are you going to say to wiley it's like dude knows what's up with obama like knows the paradoxes of obama knows about drone campaigns knows like there's no yeah it's a complicated portrait i think it's it's an interesting piece too and i was just and also who was i talking to the other day i think um maybe it was Patton Hindle. It was Vodra Kingsley from Art Media Holdings and Brian Drycore from Art in America. Patton runs Yours, Mine, and Ours Gallery. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And is the director of arts at Kickstarter. And I think it was Patton. For the record, though, Patton was there just a few minutes later. Her, yeah. And maybe she was just like, It was Vodra, but Patton still rules. Like, yeah, but think about this, like, even just as, like, just the, the bump in that trajectory, just visually. When somebody in the future walks through that gallery and you just see that thing, like regardless of the paradoxes of Obama, or whether it was a disappointment to yeah. some people and these kinds of things, it just like, yeah, you're right. It's kind of outside the realm of critique. Like, what, what am I going to decompose it? What am I going to? Right. I don't right. know. Yeah. The, I <laughs> also, mean, what am I going to say to Kahindu Wiley? Like, but, yeah. like, oh, well, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And like the Kahindu Wiley painting certainly beautiful like that thing is beautiful um and i love like the how he messes with like flatness so much because the leaves are all painted um uh, sort of color by number style yeah and they're repeated and uh, going and that's back what to, you were circling yeah, i was circling like- all the repeated uh formations of leaves and i counted like there was like seven or eight bunches that he kept on cutting and pasting in in his Photoshop file. And some of them were evenly spaced and some of them were not. But most notably, like right at his arm, there was two repeating bunches of leaves. And uh, I thought that was fascinating because now we're talking about like, you know, and uh, a lot of people supporting the painting were rightfully like, well, he still painted everything by hand. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not even... I don't even care about that. Oh, sure, yeah. I think the most interesting thing is like... Oh, he, they thought that you saying, yeah, oh, painting from Photoshop is yeah. like, you're like shitting on it. But yeah. Like, well, well, we've been talking about this since like, you know... Yeah, that's not a new... Subscreening. Yeah, that's not like a, a new... printing press, you know? I guess if you're not like a art nerd, though, you might be like, well, don't totally. say he Photoshopped it. Yeah, like, exactly. Well, he didn't. That's not from observation. Yeah, and yeah, and that's when <laughs> I catch Obviously, myself being a dick. He yeah. didn't stick Obama in yeah, yeah. like a weird flat thicket wall. <laughs> exactly, right? Um, but I, I I, mean, I would love to hear Kende Wally talk about it because 
I just want someone to ask him, being like, "Well, uh, why didn't you uh, take a picture of, you know, a wall of leaves instead of creating this in Photoshop?" And I'm sure he has like a really interesting take on oh, that. Oh, of course, yeah. Because it's it seems like a uh, like a gesture for he's leaving a, a kind of like a breadcrumb trail, right? Yeah. Because it's it's pretty clear to to I think. Well, especially after posting it and seeing the reaction, everyone's like, oh, yeah, those are all the same. They started circling ones that、mm -hmm. were similar. And,、uh, and that makes it more exciting to me as a painting、um, uh, because he's kind of messing, he's taking liberties with like, that thing. Like, Peter Halley doesn't have to make these in Photoshop. Like, these,、right. you know, these, you could draw these on, and he has drawn these on graph paper yeah, like, yeah. for years. And, But Photoshop is just easy. Like, I don't have a sketchbook anymore. Like, I do have a sketchbook where I just write dumb stuff, like to do, you know? Yeah. But it's all on the computer. And, like, I always was wondering, like, if our generation of thing makers would, like, I'm, this is where I get really, like, out there. But, you know, like, when the Met starts uh, uh, charging admission to out of towners, Which is a signifier of this like, kind of institution getting dated and maybe losing money.、Um, and then it not mattering that it's $25 or free. It's just like they're, they're just trying to grasp like, whatever they can get at the moment to, to stay in business, kind of. And、um, meaning, like,、uh, you know, the nerds are just like、um, having people pay this amount of money won't change. Attendance because people who don't go to museums just don't go to museums. Yeah. And people who do just do go to museums. Sure. You know?、Um, so we're almost talking about the wrong thing there. We're talking, I think the interesting thing is like this kind of stuff like、uh, changing on us、um, in our lifetime, like the idea of the museum and、um, the idea of like a virtual VR museum. And then eventually, like our generation of thing makers. Um, showing like our digital files to be able to walk through like our hard drives,、mm -hmm. I think would be as fun as like walking through a room with lit drawings, yeah, you know? yeah, if not more fun, yeah. And I and I feel like too, with the now that you're talking about this, the the intentionality of all the things that are in Wiley's portrait are so laid bare, like, yeah, not. And I guess, I guess I take for granted because I'm just like, well, of course, he made that pattern in Photoshop and painted it. I see no, yeah, yeah. that doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't irk me in any way.、Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but it's laid so clearly, like out in the open, that you're、yeah. right, it's leaving like a trail, and there's all these things. It's like, okay, well, what's that repetition about? And like, okay,、yeah. well, what is it about to make a facsimile in like a virtual environment to stick Obama in that's both flat, but also、mm -hmm. like there's, there's a lot there that I think it'll be,、yeah. that'll be interesting to see in like 50 years. Right. You know, depending on. If there's a United States in 50 years, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. kind of reflect on, yeah, on yeah. that portrait. If there is a portrait gallery, yeah, right? Yeah.、Um, well, who do you think?、Uh, so, Peter Halley, but who, who do you think kind of just has color figured out in terms of artists that you like? I mean, I, I think of like Taba Arbach or like older stuff like、She's、Romare、great. Bearden or、yeah. even like Sam McInnes, like some of the younger like、For、Sam's、sure. paintings. But、um, whose color kind of geeks you out? Well, like, you know, when you, when you said that, I immediately thought of like someone like John Curran, who's just、uh -huh. like a fucking master, right? Like, but that's in a different tradition.、Um, when I think of something like, I like funny, you know, like、mm -hmm. even when it's not so funny,、um, like who's a funny color guy? Well, like a lot of the, the, the abstract minimalists, 
Yeah. You know, just like funny color people. Did you see that? Have you been to the Francois Morlay show at Dia and Chelsea? Do no. you know? Do you know Francois Morlay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so they've got it's up for like a year. Okay, so like no rush. Check it out. Right. But um, <laughs> you know they're always up yeah. for like a year. But it's in the so they've got this. Uh, they got the Rita McBride like crazy neon laser wormhole thing yeah, yeah. that's in in this adjacent space. But yeah, the Morley stuff. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I was super familiar with Francois Morley before yeah. this, but I I teach through Dia Beacon, and so oh. I got this like fun educators tour mm. by one of the curators through the Francois Morley thing before it opened. And I mean, I didn't know this about the just like this crazy French guy yeah. who worked in a toy factory right, right. like his entire life and like made his paintings with like his wife and his kids. And I'm sure you know I'm giving like the 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 institutional sort of bio that I was yeah, given, yeah. but the paintings are so funny. Like mm-hmm. they're really, really, and, and it's all about like this op art and like minimalism and yeah. all of these weird things. And they are, a lot of them are, they're literally jokes. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. the titles are jokes right, and right. things like that. And there's something so playful about that, that I kind of get a kick out of. I was just like, I got to take you to the show is what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, 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 I was yeah. just like, quote, we'll get a kick out of I gotta this. Like go, it's just man. too funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like the, and some of it, some of the later stuff, and I guess he died like six months before the show opened. Are you serious? Yeah. And Oof. he never, I think maybe he had one solo, big solo show in the States. Yeah, yeah. And they did this big thing up at uh, Dia Beacon. He's got this giant neon installation where the Flavin used to be downstairs, uh-huh. like uh-huh. this temporary thing. And then he's got this huge show and he died like six months before the thing happened. I get it, which is wild. like such a oh, bummer. But man. He seems like a... It's like one of the, it's like a funhouse show. Yeah? Yeah, but very, like, tasteful. Right, Like right. a tasteful fun. <laughs> right, like, I wonder how people, some people, like, feel about Ad Reinhardt, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they see all this, like, black on black or, like, dark blue on a slightly lighter blue. And I'm like, this guy's kind of hilarious. But, mm-hmm. like, it comes around, right? It turns into, like, the self-destructive Chappelle. Where you're just like, oh, now we're back to sad a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. And it kind of does that loop really fast on you. Um, I, th- I think your work has some of that in it, though. Like, your work's funny, but it, only funny be- in the way that, like, pathos is funny. Right. Yeah, I mean, Like, there's an obsession or, like, an anxiety and kind of, like, this, um, I don't know, like, so much of it is about, like, that time we met. Or, right, like, what right, I try right. to remember. The yes, other thing. Yeah, and yeah. it's, like, funny. And it's, like, why would someone make an essentially like an infographic of that right and so there's like a chuckle but it but there's there's a ripple afterwards it's a little bit like huh well what I, the, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> i mean thanks man i hope so like you know that is certainly the intent um it, you know like i got i stumbled onto the the chart thing kind of as a way to talk about like stuff that i've been trying to figure out how to talk about you know when i was in a teenager i did like an emo punk zine that you know Woo! i used to do I used to do my fair share of punk zines yeah yeah baby what I was got, yours uh my friend brandon bosch and i were temporarily kicked out of the ninth grade for our zine porn star weekly which oh. uh wait what years were you uh i graduated high school in 2000 i'm in 82 okay so we're okay. a few years apart i think right yeah yeah because back in the day there was only a handful so yeah i graduated high school in 94 so at that time there was like there's only like three distributors, like Tower, Surefire, mm-hmm. and... Um, oh, we had no distribution. Ours came yeah. out of our locker at I mean, like the school. Yeah. But what I mean by distribution is like Tower would be like, cool, we'll order 50. Yeah. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and you'd be like, how do I make 50 of these? <laughs> uh, but yeah, but I just, you know, I don't know. I was hoping because uh, the community was kind of small. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But did you do music or was it more political? It was a little bit of both. I mean, I did, I grew up with 
skate stuff and punk and all those kinds of things and then the the one that we got that one in particular that was sort of like um i guess like i don't know that we necessarily knew what like satire was and the onion wasn't a thing yet but it was like a fake newspaper like a gossip paper about our high school or our junior high because our ninth eighth ninth grade or something okay okay and so there were stories about people at the school which i don't know that i'd ever want to read what we wrote now but it was like about popular kids and it was like in good fun Uh but it was like totally insane and wrong like bad you know like and we got oh we got busted like some how do you punish something like that we were called into oh i shit you not my principal's name was mr bates no. Like, so Mr. Bates, we yeah. had to go into Mr. Bates's office and um, <laughs> uh, we used pseudonyms. We used fake names on it. Sure, sure. Um, but he used his first initial, which was, you know, he just used B instead yeah. of Brandon. Um, not smart. And, you know, we didn't go to the biggest school in the world. And <laughs> right. uh, some girl had it in her bag. Her mom found it and, you know, kind of put two and two together, figured out who are the kids who like this. We were also selling. In the back of it, we Xeroxed the mail order catalog for Fat Records, but we whited out all the prices and added $2 to them. So yes. you could order the CDs through us. Oh, that's and amazing. And then we would bring them to school to give to you. You were a budding <laughs> art dealer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but and we like Xeroxed them all at my mom's interior design place on like Take Your Kid to Work Day. But you yourself sold them. We like, sold them, yeah. It's a, for like a dollar a piece out of our locker. So you didn't have, like, runners selling them? No, we had no distribution. That got (laughs) shut down pretty quickly. I mean, that lasted a couple weeks before we were basically busted. Weeks? That's amazing. But I I loved making, like, zines and stuff otherwise. And I would always just make them because, like, you needed to or you needed to express something. And it was a way of organizing information. Right. Yeah, 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 totally. I mean, I always wonder about that now, now that we're, like, of of parenting age and i remember like my mom and dad were just like what are you doing all day you're like you have no friends nothing and i'm like i've been making this book of writing and they're like okay we don't know how to be mad at you anymore so like you know this principal brings you in and it's just like you can't do this because it's it's mean-spirited but like we like your moxie you know <laughs> like, why don't you like work on the school newspaper or something and you're like that does not interest us you know like you're missing the whole thing oh man Oh god, yeah. But that makes sense though that the so the the paintings and the kind of organizing things like that. And you went to you went to RISD, right? I went to RISD. So were you there were you there just sort of like post Fort Thunder or during the sort of glory In the days? Heyday. Okay, wow. I yeah. made a life choice um maybe like the first few months of my freshman year. Fort I, I made quick friends with those guys and they're still kind of my heroes. But um I think Chippendale was like Brian Chippendale, one of the guys who who started the the lightning bolt guy, was like, yo, you want to just like bail on the campus and like move to Fort Thunder? Like we got space, you know, why don't you just get a bike and just bike back and forth? And I gave it some serious thought and it was kind of like, I didn't know it at the time, a pivotal life choice, you know, because like, okay, do I not shower for weeks at a time or do I shower every day? You know, like it was kind of. Was it where was it? Was it in Olneyville or whatever? That's it was called? in Olneyville. Okay, it yeah. was right next to a Dunkin' Donuts. It was incredible. I had never. Well, I'd be lying if I said I never saw anything like that because in New York there was already stuff coming around, like going to ABC No Rio and yeah, and thread waxing space. Like I understood that people took these raw spaces and like did illegal like art stuff in there, but um, it was incredible. They were just. I remember. Uh, this is such a clear memory of mine. I remember I was practicing guitar in my uh, dorm room and my buddy 
Hasham, who I just met a few weeks before that, was like, yo, get a gig bag. Let's bring your guitar over to my band's practice space and we can jam out. And he brought me to a lightning bolt practice when he was in it. <laughs> and he was like, just do whatever. And, yeah. the, and the other two guys were like, what the fuck is this? Thought we were going to have some practice. And Sean was like, no, no, it's cool. I like this kid. Whatever. <laughs> and then like 20 minutes into it, I was like, yeah, no, you guys like are in a band. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to go over here and see like what that smell of someone was making potatoes. It was like fully a unique place. I remember there was an era where Chippendale was collecting roadkill. He would drive around collecting roadkill with Veronica Vasica, who ends up being like this amazing, like uh, um, minimal wave DJ now. She's awesome, part of e uh, East Village Radio. But she would drive around with Brian looking for roadkill, and he was stuffing these pinatas for an art show. <laughs> it was what it was like so college, right? Oh man, and it was like it was a truly wild experience. And you know, those guys, you, you know, they they're still up to it. Kinda. It's funny though. I mean, your work is so uh, orderly, but it has a lot of, I think, I mean, I can see conversations between that and the stuff that came out of there and afterwards, like paper rad and things like that, that there's like a really clear, I mean, it's, it's very, uh, the palettes are kind of celebratory in this weird way. Like yeah. you think about like lightning bolt yeah, yeah. as like an oral thing. And it's almost like, well, it's maybe like nihilistic or harsh or something, but or, there's right. also like a shitload of joy in it in this weird way, maybe. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're onto that for sure. And, and you're onto like the idea when I have a painting where I'm like, there's always an element of, I think, misery in like the process of making a painting. And especially like in the words that sometimes that I use, but I'm like, enough, enough misery. Like it has to be funny. It has to like convey something other than like more work for the viewer right mm -hmm. so you know i i it would be my dream to be uh, a working black on black painter <laughs> you know like that'd be awesome <laughs> i wouldn't have to really fuss around with like colors but you know there's a certain level of generosity that you have to give someone and i'm already challenging people with like well here's a puzzle yeah that kind of you have to think like you have to come with me for a second they work but you have to imagine there's a, a another dimension you know, or like this flatness isn't truly flat. You know, mm -hmm. like I just ask people to take a leap a little bit. And I know that takes a lot of um, like patience. Mm -hmm. And I think looking at a painting, you shouldn't really mess with that too much. And like right. the color is a way for me to be like, and also like I tried to paint the most uh, like welcoming thing i could at that time you know like, yeah well it's funny too because i think about a lot the um it's such a it i wish there was a better way to say that that the reason that people employ humor or comedy is because it lets somebody enter the space where something more kind of like something deeper or more intense or like something sure. else can happen or they can kind of confront that because it's such the cliche to say but it's the tears of a clown but right? that's what i mean that's what it's for and i don't know really what else to like how else to describe that like how do you describe it's that? a mechanism yeah yeah and, and it's like i've been trying i feel like for years to articulate a different way to say that and then I get simultaneously like frustrated when I hear other people describe it that way, but then at the same time I'm relieved because I'm right. like, good, none of it, yes. Yeah, right, yeah, we right, all right. agree that it's yeah, like, yeah. it cannot be properly articulated. Right. I mean, that's the best way, but yeah, your work is really like, it has all these design elements and things like that that are like, 
I mean, you, you've done infographics and stuff for the New York Times. I mm -hmm. mean, there's an accessibility to it, but it's also about a puzzle, which I yeah. think is kind of fun. Yeah. And I think about, I just, I mean, I was talking to, uh, I was emailing with Christine Sun Kim recently about her scores and things that she draws and how there's like, there's this really literal kind of title, but at the same time, everything's a puzzle that you have to kind of solve sure. and get through, or it seems like it's a, it's a taxonomy of something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like this uh, feeling of seeing that Kehinde Wiley Obama portrait, you know, show up like on your feet. Every other uh, post is of the image. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh, he's showing us kind of a puzzle too. Yeah. Like he's just like, if you want to go deeper... I'm I'm leaving these like crossword squares for you. Yeah, and I and on just like a surface level, I think he did that probably pissed off alt right people to like to like. Could you imagine how angry? I just think about like like this one uncle that I have, <laughs> right, like right, how right, he, right. like if he saw you, just be like that is the gayest. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, like, yeah, he'd yeah, be yeah. so infuriated. Flowers. <laughs> he'd be yeah. so mad. <laughs> just my. Oh my god! I uh -oh. know, right? Wait, so you okay? So you were playing music and stuff. Um, I was uh. I hit up one of our mutuals this morning when I knew that you're coming over to ask, um, you know, is there something that I should ask Quo about? Who'd you, who'd you hit up? Leo. Ah, oh, the best dude. And Leo told me to, uh, first of all, and I can't tell if he's fucking with me or not. But you can he, never tell okay. with Leo. He said to ask you, um, he said to ask you about my chemical romance. Oh, one of the and best if that bands is your favorite ever. bands. For a while, like, for a while I was convinced they were one of the best bands, like, on earth. When they're they were, good they're incredible yeah like that band is um it took all this in the way that i thought Lil peep rest in peace was on to something great i think my chemical romance like came through on that um with the whole kabuki theater thing with the whole post emo thing like i was joking with uh a buddy of mine who was in one of the old emo bands i'm like we're up to fourth wave emo at this point mm. like you think this is new emo it's like morphed so many times i was very confused when kids were emo like when yeah, scene yeah, yeah. was emo because i was just like no when i was in like junior high and high school emo was like like, like sunny day was yeah, yeah. even like on the tail end of what i thought emo was right that was like if if i had to talk about it, it would be like second wave sunny yeah, day was yeah. second wave yeah yeah and uh, so I was just like, and so then when all of a sudden it was like about asymmetrical haircuts and all these other things, I was just so like, fantastic. I was like, what's going on? It's like, I think. I guess there's an aesthetic now. I mean, I don't know. The, yeah. the people that I knew that liked Sunny Day and like the Promise Ring and stuff, they were kind of schlubby. Yeah. I mean, they were like <laughs> beer drinkers, right? Yeah. Like yeah. The, the fumes of Chapel Hill kind of. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, well, like uh, Captain Jazz was like yeah. a reviled band back in the day and now they're kind of like i saw the reunion show at brooklyn steel and i was like they're pretty accepted now as a mm. thing and then everyone in the crowd like had babysitters i'm sure yeah and i'm just like whoa like that was the generation that i call kids yeah you know now they're all in their mid 30s you know but um but mcr was amazing where it took like i think I, there's no subculture cooler than goth you know yeah. like let's just all admit that yeah yeah oh i it, had i have i've got some high school photos with like a really nice devil lock hells yeah man yeah, yeah. i saw a picture of jerry only the other day uh -huh. Not that, i mean misfits aren't goth but Ooh, aesthetically yeah like um jerry only had that per like his sure. widow's peak is so far back at this point that it is like it's the greatest devil lock in history because he's right, his right. whole crown of his is that yeah. what your crown is the front yeah know. yeah yeah the whole front is completely bald and so he's got this like Trumpian. Oh, he just brings it to the front. The, I mean, it must be Respect. like the longest pelt in the back, but it works perfectly. And it is like his forehead is so 
evil looking. Yeah, it's I, amazing. I'm sure he's also like a shithead right winger. I just feel like Jerry we only is at this that, point. Though. But yeah, you yeah. know, but he makes great <laughs> art. You know, um, right? Yeah, I mean, MCR is definitely influenced by the Misfits, and uh, even like are like, they Jersey guys too? MCR, Were they New yeah, Jersey, yeah, for sure. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they went like on the Black Parade album where I thought they made good on their promise was they pushed it to this point of like, uh, like theatrical, um, prog, you know, and it was just an amazing thing to see. And it burnt out really fast because like, it's hard to sustain that kind of speed creatively, I think. And you could sort of seeing them at their, their highest power, kind of just like okay yeah i think they're probably gonna break up after this or and that was the sad thing with peep right because we were waiting for his album to came out and his album was fine it wasn't like the the thunderous impact that his singles had and we're like okay the next one he's really gonna just make this thing Mm -hmm. and he didn't last till the next one but um some of his friends did um but uh yeah mcr like i think leo gets most frustrated at me when I really embrace these bands that he <laughs> and most people and most reasonable people dismiss as just like thing that's not for them. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I saw MCR maybe like a dozen times, maybe really? a few less. I regret not seeing them once. Uh, my friend was like, what are you doing tonight? He's like, I have something to do. I can't get out of it. He was like, well, I had tickets to MCR at the old knitting factory on Leonard Street. And I missed it, which is a bummer. But I've seen them play like arenas and stuff. And I was wishing that. Uh, I think I was secretly hoping that AFI would implode oh, during their during their weird goth ascension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they went from hardcore to like uh, overtly ridiculously satanic, and then right, right, to right. like a more like Cure influence kind of arty thing. And then it was Incredible. really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And I loved it. And then uh, and then it just kind of was like, oh, now you guys are just rockers, right? right. And like, yeah, I get, yeah. you know, but you, maybe they're dads or something now. Know, you yeah. gotta, they probably got a Wilco record or something yeah. in their collection. Do you know, my friend was the drummer for MCR for a while. No. Yeah. Wait, well, like, what do you mean by friend? Like, did you grow up with them? Mikey Petticone. He was like best friends with my roommate in college in Arizona. No shit. He lived in Tucson because he uh-huh. was in the Bled, uh-huh, this uh-huh. band called the Bled. Uh-huh. And Mikey and his brother Jimmy yeah. and his brother Jay yeah. used to come up to Phoenix all the time where I lived. And uh, I just thought that was about the coolest thing. Like the Bled was like really hip. They were on like the Tony Hawk game yeah. and all this stuff, you know. Yeah. Mikey's a beast at the drums. and Incredible drummer. He... What happened? The Bled broke up and then he was playing with like Gavin Rossdale for a while. He's was, he was like a session drummer, so he could like play with anybody. lying if I said you know? I didn't like Bush. Yeah, so he would like, you know, he's yeah. like on, there's videos of him playing like Machine Head with Gavin Rossdale, you know. Yeah, that was and a good then, album. Yeah, and then he had Butch of Egg, right? 16 Stone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that man. Yeah. Come Down, that's a banger. Yeah, man. Oh, wait, yeah, Come Down's on that. Yeah. No, I'm not, not Razorblade Suitcase. That came next. That just had like Swallowed and stuff on it, but that I, wasn't that not as good. That. That, that was Butch Fig, right? Yeah, I think he did all that. Yeah, he also did the AFI record where they started not being like I liked them anymore. Strange. Oh, he turned but, into Bob Rock. Yeah, I remember I talked to my old roommate one time, and I was like, "What's Mikey? You know, he's always playing music and all this stuff. Like, what's he doing these days?" Yeah. And he's like, "He's like in My Chemical Romance." And I was like, <laughs> "And this is like, this is probably like 2011 or 12. I mean, they were okay. huge. Yeah, yeah. They by that like, time, they yeah, were already big. they were like enormous. And yeah, I was just yeah. Like, well, dude's doing okay. Yeah, but um, but yeah. yeah, Mikey drummed with them for a while, and uh, at one point, MCR played one of those things like leads or something like one of those uh, yeah, giant, sure. giant fucking things. Yeah, right. Yeah. And 
there's a video of Mikey playing drums and uh, Brian May from Queen comes out. No And way. is playing guitar. And oh, Mike, I think I saw Mikey's pictures playing of drums and just like looking, just you know, losing his fucking mind. Yeah, you know? and yeah, then, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I wonder what kind of comeback they could have because they're so visual, you know? Like, yeah. Gerard would have to like kind of like regain like his presence for mm-hmm. them to do it. Mm-hmm. But like the Misfits did it. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, you know, um, he takes so, care of himself, though. Wait, and you had a... Do you still play in a band? You had a band. Yeah, Here. I mean, we have Hex a... Hex re- Message? Yeah, yeah, we have a real <laughs> casual band. Um, That's cool, because you should call an album Casual Hex. <laughs> oh, I like that. Yeah, I told my friend she could have that for an art show once. I was like, man, that's like a good... I'm sure I didn't. I'm not the first person who thought of that, but... I know, but you don't want to shoot your shot and not have it like mm-hmm. have people I was like, like come on at least you make that your twitter handle or right, something right, right. <laughs> i like that <laughs> uh shout out to at casual hex who i'm sure there's yeah, gotta yeah, be a yeah, twitter yeah, user yeah, who's yeah. at casual hex but i'm gonna follow you after this episode <laughs> that's right uh yeah i mean i remember sitting at a table with my buddies at the time being like you know i just want to play in a band and they were like all right we're forming one right now and the whole deal is we don't practice uh we don't play instruments that we're good at playing and uh, we improvise everything. Okay. But we've been together for a long time now. Like uh, our our buddy, um, so it's like members of different groups at the time. This band called Acceptor at the time was doing their thing. Um, this band Rings, uh, Dave Portner's sister, who was in that. Uh, Mike Bones, who kind of was ubiquitous in, in downtown music life. Um, and my art dealer. Pascal Spengeman, who's the best. Um, so we all just formed a band together. And, you know, we got to go on two tours with Gang Gang Dance, which was really kind of like a treat beyond uh, all treats, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, our first few shows were... Our first show was at the New Museum, which was fun. Yeah. And it was ticketed, which was <laughs> ridiculous. Don't you love doing things that aren't uh, fine art in fine art context? Because you just get to... I feel like you just get to skip a lot of steps sometimes if you're yeah. already in in the art world. And we knew we were being the worst. Like, we were just the worst. But, uh, you know, when you're in, like, your your mid-20s, you're just like, well, okay. Uh, you know, this is how everyone does it, right? Yeah. And then now that we're older, we're just like, well, we're, we're just jerks. <laughs> but we still do it. Like, what did we do recently? We played, oh, we played a show with um, Tim Kinsella, the singer from Captain Jazz, which was great. Because I asked him to play, um, I missed his solo performance at Bowery Ballroom. And I asked him when he would do that again. He was like, well, I'm in town for a few days. I'll play with your band in a basement somewhere. Just find the basement. So we paid, played in a bar basement, and it was super fun. Nice. It was awesome. And he played one song for 20 minutes, that which is what Tim right. does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you're known around in our overlapping social circles and things like that as a, as a funny dude. And we've already talked about so. your arts. Your art's pretty funny. Um, what a... You know, what were the early things that you were looking at? I, I'm I'm gonna guess based on some of your bootleg merch and stuff like oh, that yeah, that I've yeah. seen, but I'm gonna I'm gonna guess Simpsons is part of the early Matt Groening was amazing. Like I was totally raised by a tiger mom, you know, like that, that book that was written about like the you know, like Im- immigrant Chinese people just being like, you know, uh, less friends, more more piano, study more, you know, like if you're not getting straight A's, you should be getting A pluses, whatever. But when The Simpsons came out, I remember watching that with uh, the Christmas special with my mom, and she was like, oh, this one's kind of good. I'll let you watch this show. 
So it was one of the few shows I was allowed to watch. So it's kind of religious. I would tape everyone VHS. You yeah. Know? And um, I had my buddy that I made that who I got kicked out of ninth grade with. He he had every one VHS. He had a wall. Just... I mean, I bet right. Like before they were in syndication, <clears throat> they mm-hmm. were just like gold, and yeah. you can just watch. I must have watched that Christmas one at least like forty times. You know, <laughs> you know, it was just like just put it in. It's awesome. But um, and you know, you can. I think it was James Brooks who was the one who, uh, like like pushed Matt Groening to do something emotional. You know, talking about the tears of a clown thing, like Matt Groening was like, "Oh, I did something called Life in Hell," and Akbar and Jeff are just hilarious and irreverent. And th- this family on the Tracy Ullman show is like that; they just hate each other and they're just at each other's throats. And I think James Brooks, if I'm not getting mistaken, was the one who was like, "Well, we need to make this like emotional. Mm-hmm. Like it has to have like really heavy stuff." behind it and that's what made it a hit and now we're here and like i think of the best episodes i remember i was given that that interview that you're mentioning with lance bangs and uh aliyah shawkat and they were asking me i think something had happened in my life and they were asking me about the simpsons and i choked up about the uh, bleeding gums murphy episode oh yeah yeah (laughs) which is so funny and i was you know lance was taping me and he was like this is good keep on going i was like "Ah, mm." (laughs) get the fucking camera (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. but it was cool you know i think in the video you can catch me kind of like uh swallowing but it was uh it was incredible that show was incredible and uh you know but back then humor was so different right like we we would trade cassette tapes of like eddie murphy raw Mm -hmm. you know and like the and SNL was so huge. Like, we, you know, I would just uh, ask all my friends to tape me SNL because, you know, my parents didn't really let me stay up that late to watch it. But, um, yeah, and we didn't, yeah. And I don't know how it, that happened. Like, I would ask my friend Marcel to tape me SNL and 120 minutes, and I would watch him when my parents weren't home. <laughs> yeah. right, right. But, it's um, interesting to be, able to, to be allowed to watch The Simpsons, though. If you have restrictions on other stuff, because so many kids that I knew, their parents were like, fuck, no, you cannot. Oh, really? You're not watching The Simpsons. Even though it was a cartoon? Like, my mom was tricked because it was a cartoon. Oh, weird, yeah. Yeah, because it was was something about, like, they just, I mean, I think parents knew that something was up, or, like, it was a little too smart for something. Yeah. I mean, I haven't probably watched, I haven't watched, it's still on, right? Yeah. I haven't haven't watched it in the longest time, but I, I still have burned into my memory. The first one I ever saw was, I was in my babysitter's which means I was, I was young. I was at like the place that I went after school and it was the episode where Homer, and it was when Homer's voice sounded different. It might've been a different voice actor and they were drawn a little more squiggly, but uh, company picnic and Marge makes like a jello mold. I remember that she walks in Yeah, and it's got like a fruit jiggling in it. And I had that like burned into my, into my head from when I was a kid. And it was the first time that I saw it. And I was like, the fuck is this? Like I did not... Yeah, I yeah. was not ready for it, and it yeah. kind of blew my mind. And it's been this like, uh, it's been this thing that stuck with me. And I think I always make these jokes about, uh, you know, you go through. Everybody always wants to make fun of like the the Zine Ten at the New York Art Book Fair because so much. It's like just every table is just fucking Bart Simpson bootleg shit. But it's like, but it's a group. You know, it's the people. It's a really specific yeah, yeah. type of person who responded to that, started making zines, and then yeah. it, and you can. I mean, I'll fucking make fun of them. I'm one of them. You yeah, know? yeah, like, yeah. Oh, yeah like I'm totally... there, man. It's funny because I made a, a Jeremy Lin when Jeremy Lin left a basketball player, the Asian American basketball player who left New York to go to Houston. I don't know who Jeremy Lin is. Just for the listeners, I know you know. Um, 
Um, so I made a shirt, uh, like a lean shirt. Yeah, he was holding uh, a styrofoam cup. It was like purple. Uh, you know, Houston and says, don't have a cow, man, you know. Um, and then years later, someone made uh, a Simpson shirt. A white guy made a Simpson shirt in the same style with like him holding a cup. And he contacted me and he was like, yo, you ripped me off. You know, like that was my idea. And all of his friends were like, yeah, this is the guy who ripped you off. Because I think Lil Peep was wearing uh, that shirt in some photo shoot or something. Mm -hmm. And then I had to come back and talk to him about it just briefly on social media being like, First of all, this was at Printed Matter like four years before you made the shirt, <laughs> which I'm totally fine with you making. Yeah. It's about Jeremy Lin. It's about the Simpsons having this awkward relationship with race, about mm -hmm. like the Black Bart thing mm -hmm. in uh, as a subculture of the Simpsons yeah. as it was happening. And then Jeremy Lin being Asian American and then being painted yellow. Mm -hmm. And the haircut and um, him going from... Uh, New York to Houston and you know like sort of like this weird immigrant story and he was like well a part of me you know believes you but I still I'm like, what Dude, believes yeah, like yeah. The, the chronological trajectory of time right right exactly <laughs> exactly and explaining it that and also way also that you like clearly are not just pulling this out of your ass right 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 <laughs> like no I thought about this and then that's kind of the feeling I have walking into that zine tent right where I'm like but if you talk to anybody with a Bart Simpson anything they're just like Oh, that killed me. That was just like that's my childhood, you know. And it's just like, it's it's fine, man. But I, um, I, I did a book. I did a book about Jeremy Lin, and uh, there's a lot of Simpsons drawings in there. And the publisher in LA um, gave one to Matt Groening. Oh wow! Which was incredible. Yeah. And he was hyped. He was like, "Oh, I know. I know this kid. I'm not a kid. I'm like an adult." But like he was just like, "I know what this kid is doing, and I like it." Tell him I said hello and everything's good with me. <laughs> did you make yeah. wait, did you make the bootleg shirt that was uh Jerry Saltz and Roberta Smith? Oh, that was a collaboration, yeah. <laughs> it said with, the Smiths. Yeah, that was a collaboration with my friend Pascal. <laughs> so dumb. Man. Oh man. Well, you know, whatever it's a fucking tea, right? Right, like, exactly. You gotta... And you're talking about like right. So you're talking about like humor, right? And like I hope to get funny stuff into like this artwork that hangs on walls. But like at always at the same time I'm thinking of dumb t shirts. Yeah, yeah. Well there's a whole spectrum, right? Yeah. Of yeah, like yeah. where you can be funny in it. Yes, and and yes. like how how funny to be and how to intellectualize humor and when yeah. humor is like really being a when humor is really being a, a social critical tool and right. when you're just fucking having a lol yeah yeah you know? exactly like there's a there's a yeah. there's a real difference i think between those things and i agree it, and it seems like you're able to kind of inject that stuff like you're saying into your work and then also the show that um you and scott did at marlboro oh, a great. couple of years ago um i had the distinct privilege of performing it one of the nights of that, that but was great you all put so much stuff together during that that was so different than what somebody you know would expect as the kind of what my friend nicole reber calls the event economy Oh, of, interesting. Of galleries to get bodies back in to see the things and stuff like that. But you all basically just threw like a two-week like party. A party, Like just yeah. stuff every night, right? There was karaoke. There's there was a com I did the comedy night and Ross Marino broke one of the pieces, I think, during it. That, like fell into the neon thing. <laughs> the, uh, Scott made this neon palm tree. Oh, no, neon tree with an apple in it. Uh -huh. And it got broken three times. Three times. Okay, good. Well, okay, then Ross shouldn't feel that bad. About no, no, no. We... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that thing was uh, a ready-made kind of. But um, yeah, we closed it with this party where like we're gonna throw a dance party for kids, 
Uh, the kids being like uh, 20-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And it got so wild that... So just to describe what this thing was, we, we made a club down um, on Broom Street called uh, Thinkers, which is like, you know, after a few drinks, like... You would say drinkers as thinkers, whatever, mm-hmm. as a slur, like uh, as if you were slurring your speech. Like uh, what's that Guided by Voices album, uh, Elephant on Titus? <laughs> it's supposed to be Elephant Titus, uh-huh. you know. But uh, B Thousand is Pete Townsend, okay. right? So it was kind of like based off of that idea. But um, and so we you you crawl through um, a little mouse hole that mm-hmm. was like three feet tall, so it wasn't that bad, and it's all dark in there and. There's a projection of, uh, uh, oh, there's a screen, an old school uh, monitor of images from the internet that we like, dumb images, um, the aforementioned uh, tree, and a Rodin sculpture in the corner that we got on loan that was like for sale, but surely nothing <laughs> I can afford. Right? And it was one of the original ones, so it was like a, a really big deal to have it there. And we had a security guard there for most nights. So on the last night, we had a party for kids, and it was like the height of trap music. It's like kind of when it was hitting the hardest, I would say, when like Travis Scott was getting big. He had just performed at Webster, and uh, we just played trap music, and the whole place, I felt like the place was going to explode. Yeah. There was all these kids, like there was beer all over the ceiling, and these are like 20-foot ceilings, you know? <laughs> it was just, And I was like, who are these kids? How did they find out about this? And... Should we do this? And I remember people working there being like, I just don't want to go to jail tonight. Like, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> but it was fun. You know, we had comedy nights. Sarah Greenberger played a comedy record, um, a solemn comedy record, because her cat had just died. Oh, geez. So she, she was going to DJ comedy records, and she's like, I just want to play one. And she just stared at it, kind of sniffling. And we were like, this is awkward and incredible, you know? She's the best, too. Sarah Greenberger's one Love of my her. favorite artists. Friend of the pod. She was on Yeah, recently. yeah, that's right. Yeah, we did a book together, Women Aren't oh, Funny, Volume 1 and 2. That's right. Oh, I'll give you a copy before you leave today. I would yeah, love one, or man. two copies. There's yeah. two volumes. But, uh, yeah, that was really fun, because... I got to perform, Brian Balot was performing. That was wild. There was a bunch of different people. It was, yeah. but it was just like, a, I guess I'd lived in, I'd been in New York for a little while at that point, but it was exciting to get, uh, I, I think maybe Scott emailed me or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. But I was just like, what the fuck is this calorie could have us come and do this for? Like, <laughs> yeah. but it just, it seemed cool. And all of a sudden this space that, and I know that Leo does a lot of that. Does he still do the programming and stuff there? Well, th- now it's Canada Gallery. Um, so they took over. It, it, it but always... Marlboro in general. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. Because so you guys did the Chelsea space and the space that was on Broom. But now right. Canada took yeah. that over. And Leo does this great thing. Our buddy Leo Fitzpatrick does uh, the viewing room. Yeah. So he basically, they have a viewing room and they're basically like, why don't you run a gallery out of here? And he's done some pretty insane shows in there. And he did, last summer he did a whole group show in the in all the spaces in Chelsea. Yeah. That was kind of mind-boggling, a collaboration show. Yeah. I mean, and I think that was, but that was just an interesting thing to think of this, this gallery space that, you know, as a casual kind of art world person, I have this, I just, you know, it's, it's lumped in with a list of other names. Yeah, yeah, But then yeah. all of a sudden it does these other things and you right. think, oh, maybe this... Maybe this place is cool. Like maybe they believe yeah. in some different, because it's really hard to tell when people do that. But it sounds like you know if they, I mean, they let you guys do some crazy shit. They crazy probably, shit. yeah, yeah, <laughs> probably and pretty open. They were so. I mean, I remember I was like, so we want to build a wall and put a little mouse <laughs> hole in it, and they're like, okay, done. How big <laughs> should the mouse hole be, right? I mean, they just ended 
Uh, this Saturday, a um, survival research laboratory show. Oh, yeah, I went to that. What the fuck? It was insane, right? There was, like, fire-breathing <laughs> machines on the street that they just, like... Uh, so, on on Saturday, they had a, a closing party where mm. they had all these, like, robots, like, on the street just, like, kind of destroying uh, each other. Yeah. Um, in a cute way, because, like, yeah. none of them move very fast. Yeah. And they all kind of clunk around. And there was a wedding happening next door. And they were running downstairs and being like, okay, we have caterers coming. And there's like a wedding happening in three hours. Like, when are these robots going to be off the street? And we're like, when that one's breathing fire, we know it's done. Oh, my God. That's like that whole block for like a little window of time was really funny because I went to, um, I mean, I had to go see the Barry McGee show. Like, that's, I just, you know, yeah, that's of like. Course. I, I needed the nostalgia kick. I love Barry. Um, yeah, that's and good just work. just wanted to go see it. Great show. Just fun, you know. Yeah, Just man. cool and like, and, uh, but I went into it and I, and I, it was a very different audience than is usually in the galleries in Chelsea. You know, lots of box logos. Uh, sure, and sure. It looked like people had been lined up for sneakers outside. Lots of people taking selfies in the Barry McGee. And I was like, this is it. kind of a funny, different audience in here. And then mm -hmm. I left and I was like, oh, I don't know what's at Marlboro right now. So I just like popped in and it was the survival research. And it was like all these, the people in the gallery too. Because it was, just, I mean, it was a Wednesday uh -huh. at like yeah. one or something. And but then the gallery is filled with like steampunks and burners. Oh man! <laughs> like, walking around, totally. looking at this shit, and I was like, "This whole block is like." I was kind of like trying to <laughs> right, gauge right. like the people at the front desks, and I was like, yeah. "But they're you know they're so cool, yeah, they yeah, never yeah. react to anything." Uh -huh. But I was just like, "There's like a tall bike guy in here, yeah, right, in right, the gallery, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's got, he's wearing two backpacks, yeah, exactly, <laughs> <Just> like, exactly, <laughs> amazing, what a fucking kick." Um, well. Okay, we're getting to we're getting towards the end here, but I wanted to. Oh fuck, my phone! I just leaned on it. Oh, was that Siri? Yeah, did you hear? She called me Boots. Is that? I told her to call me Boots when I first got the phone, <laughs> and I don't know how to change it. Like, so whenever I talked, why would you want to change it? I don't know. Siri, what's my name? You're Sean, but you asked me to call you Boots. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> no. Sorry, I leaned on my phone, but. Uh, before we go, I wanted to talk a bit about your podcast. Oh, Cookies. cookies. Yeah. yeah. So you've alluded We'd love to, to it have a little you bit. On. I would love to. Is it okay that I'm a complete, like, <laughs> I'm an, okay, I grew up playing. So Andrew does a podcast called Cookies, and it's with Jordan and. Uh, ben Dietrich, who writes about basketball for The Ringer. Yeah. Okay. So, and it's like, it's like a, I mean, it's a very funny, but very serious. Like, you guys oh. are basketball nerds. Yeah. Yeah. Like we, we go right into yeah. it. We're like, okay, everyone good? Okay. What's the deal with LeBron James? You know, like, we just, we love to talk hoops, you know? So, I kind of, uh, I grew up playing basketball, baseball, all these things. I actually really like sports and I like playing them, but at some point, it just kind of like my uh, spectatorship kind of fell off. And it's actually yeah. like, I can fucking get into it. Yeah, if it's yeah. on, I can get into it. But yeah. it the the it seems so overwhelming to like properly, knowledgeably get into a sport at this point because yeah. it took me so long to just know who like a handful of artists were to understand who people were talking about. Oh. But absolutely. artists usually stick around for a while. Like yeah, yeah. sports, it's like trades, turnovers, like blah blah blah. Out it, the league. It's, it's yeah. crazy. So it's wild. I mean I I, I actually really enjoy it. I've been listening to it. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck you're talking about half yeah, the time, yeah. but it's like the rapport is really great. <laughs> right. Like, obviously, it's very funny. And I all of a sudden, I'm like, 
I'm like, oh my god, that injury sound. God, dude, is that gonna fuck this up? Like, <laughs> just like I don't even know what that team is. <laughs> I know, right? Like you end up caring about things that just don't matter, and like it, sports really satisfies. Like uh, it's like a calming thing for me a little bit because it just doesn't matter if you hang out with the right people. Like it's fun, you yeah. know. Like if you just avoid knuckleheads in your life, like a lot of things that are annoying can be fun, and uh, you know. Don't let the glasses fool you, but I love numbers and I love metrics. And, <laughs> you know, like with the Kende Wiley thing, I was like, challenge accepted. This is a puzzle. Yeah. I think you're showing me a puzzle. The same way I see a box score. And I'm like, oh, this is the universe trying to show me a puzzle because yeah. human beings are, you know, set up rules for a thing. And then we're going to do this 82 times. And if you could figure out how to do this the best in a predictive way, stay with it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and with cookies, uh, not only are we really good friends, but we're really serious about hoops, which is kind of like a detriment, but we're going for it, you know? It's like in the weeds a little bit. Um, but we try to take like this macro kind of view of it. Um, and, you know, I can't help but um, make anything like emotional, you know? So it's always about like, well, you know, I always joke with uh, uh, the other two guys. Just my take is always like, but does it matter? And is it is it in the end, melancholy or happy, you know? <laughs> and then there's a lot that goes into that, you know? But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a good relief to have. It's a good practice. Like, you know, I know people do walking meditation, and uh, a lot of artists, like, think just going to the studio and, like, flipping through a book uh, and not necessarily making anything is good for your process. I'm, I don't necessarily agree with that. What I do agree with that statement is, like, and I, maybe you could talk about that too is like doing something um within a system like shows you um things you may not have seen yeah and that may seem like meditation but really it's like uh giving you rules to pay attention to something right? yeah 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 it's like it's uh it's what's appealing about a crossword puzzle yeah or something else it's it's i think people would incorrectly describe like doing a crossword puzzle as meditative when it's not it's not that yeah it's not yeah, that thing. no it's it's very different yes it's like analytical it's all these other things that mm -hmm. um not that meditation couldn't in a way be analytical but exactly yeah but purely that doesn't seem like the first approach but or like doing 40 pods of like people talking about like <laughs> uh through your filter you yeah know? beating something to death but <laughs> <laughs> i think that uh but no i think the the sports thing is really interesting because it's I wonder too, there's so many, as soon as I was like sitting down and like, well, let's think of some stuff to talk to Quo about. And as I was thinking about sports too, I was just sort of like, well, God, I mean, it is that it's the, it's the same, it's the same thing. It's like the, it's just different metrics. It's different yeah, things, yeah. but it's people, it's regional things. It's particular teams have aesthetics, just like galleries yeah. have particular aesthetics and people get traded or there's like this or that, or somebody like their career goes too quickly. And then all yeah. of a sudden it's like, boom, they blow an Achilles, yeah. you know, but or because Simkovitz bought them or something. Right. Like, there's like so well, many different. Yeah. Like my friends, I've bored my friends to tears with this, but for the last few years I've been obsessed with simulation and just like, not talking about like oh there's an alien programmer and we're just living in his mm -hmm. you know um laptop or whatever yeah, yeah. but it's like you know if there's if it's true that there's a finite number of stories in the world or a finite number of jokes or tragedies that we can understand as humans then like eventually we're going to get to the point where like we simulate these kind of uh directional stories right and like what you're saying right it is the same thing yeah. every year it's the same thing but every year every 
I always had this joke, like every year, every fan of a team is like, maybe we can have a few more wins this year. Mm -hmm. We just need two or three more wins. But if that was the case, it's mathematically impossible, right? Because there's a finite number of wins and losses per season. And then, um, and then you get into the, like the, the cruel part of the simulation where it's like, well, in order for greatness to, uh, be observable, there has to be failure. Yeah. 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 That's funny. And I guess the thing with sports that, I mean, the thing that's kind of funny, I'm just like, I'm completely talking shit right now, but (laughs) the kind of funny thing is that sports has like a quantifiable, a very quantifiable success. Yeah. But, uh, art, you can have absolutely no like market based, whatever success, but you can have a certain social capital. So there's like, in a way that's more intimidating to be an artist, but at the same time, it's also like, um, it's really hard to figure out if you're a failure or not. So yeah, even man. though that's an existential crisis, I think yeah. maybe that's maybe that's what's so maybe that's what turns so many like art-minded people off from sports is they're like, <clears throat> what do you mean it ends in forty-eight minutes? Yeah, right, right, and, <clears throat> right, right. And whoever has more wins, like that's capitalism. No, right, I'm right, not gonna. Right. <laughs> and that's where I forgive people for like being obsessed with art money, uh-huh. right? Because it's the only metric that we have. Yeah. Because if people are willing to talk about cultural capital, then let's have that discussion. But that's much easier to be like, oh, that costs two million, and well, now they cost one point five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and I think we we need that metric in artists and fans of art and uh, people even on the the inside of the insiders need that kind of metric in order to talk about something and mm-hmm. so i always forgive that and i hate to do that because it does feel gross because we grew up in an era where like selling out was like not a good thing now yeah. now it is a good thing you know but we are just the product of you know like the era we were framed in you know yeah 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 and we that made zines out of our locker room so of course me and you are like are of our lockers we sold zines out of our lockers and like of course it feels weird to talk about money because we're in the business of uh, you know, following endeavors that don't make us money. Yeah, know? yeah. And then it can be, and then it's terrifying if it could. Yeah. Because then you're facing, but, but it's easy to set yourself up for a way that uh, like you could never be successful. And then it's really easy to have a chip yeah. about if somebody else does achieve that. Which sucks because I do <laughs> think we're the last generation, right? Yeah. We must be the last generation that feels like that. Being like, ooh, sure. it's like I could pay my rent. I must be a fraud. Yeah. Like kids one day younger than us are like, no, 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 that's good. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. But I think I like what you said. Um, and we can, we can leave it on that, but to avoid, I think you said to avoid knuckleheads or something. And that, and that makes, yeah. cause I have a friend named JD. He's a great photographer, but he's a fucking college sports nut. And I used to go over and watch, uh, I used to love watching college football on Saturdays at his house. Yeah. yeah. He used to just go, I had no idea what was going on. But he knew he knew, he was obsessed with it. He'd yeah. explain everything to me. Loved it. He'd make a bunch of food. He'd get a bunch of beer. Yeah. And I just had the best time with this guy. And yeah, it was yeah. like really fun to get into something. Definitely. And he would flip out. But then when it was done, he like literally didn't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was no, just no. like he's screaming, and then it ends, and he's like, "Oh man, that sucks. We lost, yeah. you know." And then he's like, "Do you want to go like yeah. somewhere else now?" This and is a simulation. Like, yeah. I was like, "You don't. You were so upset a minute ago." And yeah, he's like, yeah. "Yeah, it's just it's just a game." Yeah, exactly. Like, wow. Yeah. It's like we're gonna have such a good time watching this thing and then that's it yeah, and then yeah. you know we do a podcast and talk about it but it just doesn't matter that's a whole cookies ethos right it's like <laughs> in the end like 
just find the joke. Just get the laugh in, you know? <laughs> cool. Well, Andrew, uh, thank you so much for coming by it this week. It was a real pleasure, Wonderful Sean. to have you. Uh, to everybody who's listening, thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you real soon. Yeah.